Well, this morning we finish uh, chapter 8 in uh, the Gospel according to Mark as we continue to unpack this idea of understanding who Jesus is. Uh, we have roughly been, uh, with some delays and that kind of thing over the last year, we've been in this now for nearly a year, uh, trying to answer from Mark's perspective, uh, who is Jesus? This is absolutely critical, not only for us, but for anybody that comes in contact with the good news to decide in their own minds who Jesus is. And we'll look at... Um, what Jesus is saying to us today in these uh, few verses here, reading from Mark 8, verses 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God give us wisdom as we meditate on these words. Uh, as we've been going through this section of uh, Mark right now, there is some uh, growing revelation as to who Jesus is, and yet there's still not quite this clear understanding, and truly that comes with time. Uh, there was even the parable that would speak of the man who was blind and he was given partial vision. And Jesus said, what do you see? And then he did something again and brought clearer vision to him. And that's the picture that's being painted for us here and for the disciples. They, of all people, see Jesus most clearly. And yet, as we've seen, even when Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, we also heard him rebuke Jesus because of what Jesus was revealing about who he is. And so our understanding of that uh, will be looked at today, and the title is Just So There's No Confusion. Uh, how many of you remember the, the old TV show? I think it may actually still be on in a new version, but let's make a deal. You remember that? Is, is, the new, is there a new version on? Does anybody know? Yes, yes. Somebody knows. Yes. Um, the, the premise of that show, uh, with all kinds of other different oddities about it, people would come dressed up in some unusual costumes because they, that's the kind of people they were, I guess. They wanted to be flamboyant. That's what the show was all about. But the premise was uh, somebody was offered um, a, a wonderful prize, except uh, you have the choice to uh, maybe take a better deal uh, without knowing what it is. And so you would see people trying to make these decisions. Maybe they're looking at a, a, a room full of furniture or a brand new TV or a refrigerator or a car or something like that. And, and maybe what's behind the next door 
would be a better deal. You don't know, but it's tempting, right? What if I traded a refrigerator for a brand new car? That would be a good deal. But you don't know. You could end up with three chickens, and you made a bad deal. But there's always something about that where there's something that is appealing to us out there, and maybe there's a better offer out there than the one that we're already exposed to, the one that's being presented to us, and we're curious. I wonder if that's the way we are in our Christian lives as well, especially as we begin to understand more of who Jesus is. And maybe we think there's a better offer, a better way, a better existence than the one that Jesus is giving us. Maybe I could try it differently. Maybe if I went this route, it would be a better route. Maybe if I followed this way, that would be the way that leads me to that tropical island where everything is just calm and peaceful and pleasant all the time. So we're going to look at uh, what Jesus is saying here, at what he's offering. When we, when we look at this passage, uh, he, he gives us this picture of, of what it is to follow him. What does following look like? And there's a little bit of play on words here. We don't, we don't necessarily see that. Uh, we're not reading the Hebrew. So I want to point that out for us. Um, there was already this discussion of uh, what following looks like. Uh, Jesus is the Christ, as Peter proclaimed. But then he also said, uh, when Jesus gave further explanation of what the mission of the Christ was, Peter rebuked him. And he didn't want to follow that kind of Christ, and he uses, Jesus uses some strong language with him. But he, he, he gives us this picture now of, uh, of anyone who would come after me. I want to show you uh, that. Um, this is where it was in, in Peter's. This, so the, the highlighted words here are the, the similarities uh, after Jesus, and this is um, from last time, Turning, Peter turning and seeing his, or Jesus turning and seeing his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Shocking words for us. But now, in this circumstance, uh, calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, basically that same language, one is used as a rebuke to Peter because he's not understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now that rebuke is offered as an invitation. If anyone would come after me, come behind me, and now the tables have turned a little bit where Jesus used that as a rebuke for, Je for Peter because he wasn't understanding what following meant. Jesus is trying to bring extra clarity to that. The idea of, of coming in behind Jesus. That's what, that's what he told Peter to do, but as a, as a rebuke. Peter, you need to come behind me. 
because he was far from that. Now the invitation is there. If anyone would come behind me, and then he goes into that explanation of what that will look like. Peter began to follow. He, he started with that. But then he seemed to draw a line. He, he had this understanding. He had this revelation we, we hear from uh, the book of Matthew in his account of this, uh, that Peter was given this revelation by God himself that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he started in a good place, but then he seems to have drawn a line in the sand as far as what following for him would look like. And we see that again in Matthew 16, 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And we looked at that, and we wondered about that. Maybe, and we're, I think we're on the right track, if, if that's what it means for Jesus... And Peter and the disciples are followers, then that means I'm on that road too. So Peter would draw the line in the sand, as it were, and say, This is never going to happen. Certainly not to you, and I don't want any part of it either. He started well, but then he kind of added his own interpretation to what following means. And he was rebuked for it. It's interesting that. Uh, we in our denomination have this issue around at times uh, bringing the good news to people. How much do we invest in spreading the gospel? Because we have an understanding, and I would admit that for a lot of us, it's a skewed understanding of what it means that anybody could be saved because we, we have this word election and predestination and we we kind of fall back on that from time to time, thinking that, well, if, if certain people are elect, why do I need to do anything? And we wrestle with that. And yet Jesus says uh, in his passage here that the invitation is for anyone. Everyone. And so he says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, it is an open invitation. It was... And on the one hand, a rebuke to Peter. Peter, you need to get behind me. And now he's giving that invitation to everybody. He's, he's not just speaking with his disciples anymore. He's speaking to the crowd as well. And he says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, It is an open invitation to anyone. So, and that means that it's the same for everyone. The invitation is to anybody. It's an open invitation. It's not just for those chosen disciples that this is what it means to follow Jesus. The invitation is for all people. And the, the following is the same for all people as well. It's one where uh, we would always stay the course too. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in, uh, in the midst of wolves, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Peter's already wrestling with that in his own life. He's just been given this uh, revelation of who Jesus truly is, but he's already wanting to bail in that journey. We looked at this same kind of concept here, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's what Jesus said as he addresses the troops, as it were, in those seven churches in the book of Revelation. To him who overcomes, to the one that perseveres to the end, You'll have the right to eat from the tree to life. There's, there's all these things that will happen when we endure to the end because following up to a certain point and then stopping meant we had our own conditions on what it meant to be a disciple. And we'll see that coming up. You see that in the Gospels where Jesus gets to this place where they're just not all excited about what he has to say anymore and they stop following Denial is the first thing that Jesus marks for us as the starting place. Denial is where anybody starts from when it comes to following Jesus. It has to be that. And we'll see why that is. You and I would have to fight against every instinct in us in order to follow Jesus. We don't necessarily want somebody to tell us the way it's going to be. I'd like to make up my own mind, thank you very much. That's just our nature. I want to decide for myself. Look at any two-year-old, three-year-old kid. They want to decide for themselves. You have their best intentions at heart in instructing them in the do's and don'ts of their life. And they will test that. It is built into us to want to figure out how to do things our way. It goes against every part of us to follow somebody that says, this is the best way. I'd fight against that. You fight against that. Peter needed to uh, fight against that instinct that he had as well, but he lost. And Peter then became the adversary to Jesus. Get behind me, you adversary. Satan is that word for the opponent, the one who is an adversary to you. Peter needed to deny his own actions at that point and fall back in line with Jesus. That starts already. Uh, we see that. Um, this is what I like about Scripture. If I haven't said that before, everything ties together. You should be able to give evidence of what we just talked about now in the life of Jesus and his disciples from long ago. What we see in those opening uh, books of Scripture, especially in the book of uh, Genesis as it lays the ground for us, is things that will carry through uh, all the way through to the end. Themes that are there that will uh, remind us of God's eternal plan. It will let you and I know what kind of people we are. Look at uh, Genesis 11.4, and they said, so this is, this is the people at the uh, Tower of Babel. Let, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed 
over the face of the whole earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. The story is already being written and the, the, the uh, verbal account of creation continues to be passed down and they would all know, and they all did know, that there was a creator God, somebody, and they didn't have a good understanding of who he was, but they would know that because they wanted to build a tower that brought them closer to the gods and that will make a name for us. There's something about our own condition that we want to elevate ourselves, our way, our plan. It already shows up. And that's just one of the stories there in, in Genesis. Uh, the Beatitudes. When you look at the, the Beatitudes in uh, Matthew chapter 5, these things are given as uh, a way to combat our natural instincts in life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the one who recognizes that they've come to the end of themselves and there's nothing that I have that can affect my eternity. Nothing. I bring nothing. I can do nothing. I can offer nothing for my own salvation. Blessed are those who mourn recognizing that very condition and recognizing that I'm still broken, I'm still fallen, I'm still sinful, and it grieves me. Because the easy way out of all of that is just to give in to sin. That's the easy way. When temptation comes, it takes work to fight it. When, when you're angry, words come very easy. But mourning the fact that that's still easy for me, mourning our own sin. Blessed are the meek, those that put themselves uh, in a humble position in front of others. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a right way, a true way, not my way, but a better way, a righteous way. The merciful, blessed are the merciful, because I would prefer justice, payback, retribution, that comes natural to us. Not mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. One focus. God alone, God's way, God's plan, God's path. One pure focus. My mind likes to intermingle those two together and see how I can include my own way in all of that and see if I can put a little bit of Ron's perspective into the path that I'm on instead of staying on one pure path. Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Our natural tendency is to stir up trouble because I'm right and you're not. Better though that I should humble myself and even be wounded by a friend than to let that peace escape us. And blessed are those who are persecuted. That's the last thing any of us would ever pray for, and rightfully so. I don't want to be persecuted. Because I have a, an order, I've got a plan for my life that does not include pain and suffering. That's not part of uh, my existence. That's not the way I would order it. The Beatitudes are in contrast to our natural being as descendants from Adam. 
and it makes us deny our own existence. It has to start there. You and I can't move forward in following Jesus unless there is a denial of self first. Because there is only one way. It isn't mine, and it isn't yours. And then there's this phrase that we wrestle with. Take up your cross. It's one of those things in Scripture that we wonder about. What does it mean? And unfortunately, we have trivialized the meaning of taking up our cross to thinking that it, it means that I'm inconvenienced in some way in life, but I'm going to take up my cross today, and we use some of the most absurd things to fill in those blanks as what it means for us to, you know, I'm going to, the weather is bad today, but uh, I got to go out and visit somebody, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up my cross and there's all kinds of things that people will use for that. But again, you and I can't add to what it means if it goes beyond or doesn't agree with what the original hearers would have understood. What did they understand? What did the disciples, what did the, the crowd that day understand when Jesus said to them, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross? I like what um, Bob Utley in his commentary on this particular phrase said. He said, quote, um, This phrase, take up your cross, referred to a condemned criminal having to carry his own crossbar to the place of crucifixion. This was a cultural metaphor for a painful, shameful death. In this context, he goes on, it refers to Death to our old sin nature. The gospel is a radical call for once and for all discipleship or followership. End quote. Carrying your cross in that day was very obvious. There was no mistake about what it meant for that person carrying their cross. You had been found guilty, you were condemned, you are about to suffer and die a shameful death. And it was completely obvious because you had to carry your own crossbar, the, the top piece of that cross where your arms would be stretched out. You carried that. There was no mistaking that you were about to face the most painful, shameful death known to man at that time. No bones about it. That person is going to suffer. And Jesus now says, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. And I think they're uh, connected intricately. Because for, for you and I to deny ourselves means that we are going to be followers of Christ. We're going to walk in His footsteps we're going to stand for the things that he stands for. We're going to live our lives the way he lived his life. And that went against everything in society. The religious leaders of the day hated that. Hated what Jesus stood for. And it was, it was against everything that they had set up for themselves. 
And so Jesus was about to suffer intensely like no one ever has and die a criminal's death. So for you and I to to take up our cross, it's the self-denial first and identifying with Jesus absolutely and completely. Paul talks about what that means a little bit in uh, 2 Timothy. Paul says uh, to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And what Paul is saying is uh, not as much you should follow me and all of those things because they are part, uh, they, they are what I have set in place. But Paul also would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's exactly what he's listing here. Teaching, conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love, and steadfastness. This is all what Jesus called him to do. And Paul now stands as the model to Timothy. Uh, follow me as I follow Christ. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, this is not one of those things what we uh, like to quote. This is not one of our favorite verses. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Taking up our cross, Paul gives evidence to what that means. It means we will live a persecuted life. Can you just see all the disciples flocking in now? Take up your cross. Follow me. Persecution is on the way for you. Paul, when he started his ministry, he was told by someone, he said, you go tell Paul all that he will suffer for my name. Paul's invitation into the gospel ministry. Tell him how much he'll suffer. And then Paul says, indeed, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Sometimes we suffer that collectively. As a Christian church, as we stand against the evils in society, when society would like to just live on that desert island where there's uh, nothing that's ever going to go wrong and life is just easy and simple that way. But we are to be people that stand with Christ and his principles. And so as we do that as a church, we, we collectively are at times persecuted. Sometimes when we stand against the evils in our society, we're persecuted as we, as we go out and we stand for the rights of the unborn. And people that have a uh, clouded view of what rights mean will persecute us. And there's all kinds of different ways that persecution happens, but Paul says, because that's exactly what Jesus is saying, you will live a persecuted life. That's what taking up your cross means. You identify completely with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have, this is, this is Paul giving a clear understanding of deny yourself and take up your cross. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. My identity is in the death of Jesus Christ and all that that means, and that means for us a life of pain and suffering and persecution. Do you think that line of disciples is getting longer? You know, there's something uh, we're missing if we only hear if we only hear the pain and the suffering because that line would stop right away if if the only thing you knew about following Christ was a life of pain and suffering that is not where it would end Jesus asked the question what for, what can a man give in return for his soul what what is it that you have that you think you have that you would like to hang on to so tightly that you would forfeit what is waiting for you. All that is in store for you. It's like the man standing there and let's make a deal and he, he, he sees the carrot being dangled about the possibility of something and yet what's behind the other door is no good. In this case, everything else that you might choose in, in exchange for what Jesus is offering is a bad deal. If you, if you want to hang on to what you think you have, you will lose it. Not only what you think you have, but everything that's being offered as well. Your eternal soul is far more valuable than anything that this world would offer you. Whatever, whatever the world is trying to give you, in exchange for what Jesus is offering us, is worthless, absolutely worthless. Does it seem like a strange way to recruit followers? Here's the deal. I'm asking you to be followers. Here's the conditions. Deny your very self. Everything about you, you deny that. It is worthless. It will get you nowhere. Start with denying who you are, who you think you are, what you think you have, what you think you contribute, what you think you can hold on to. You deny all of that. And then take up your cross. Which is going to mean identifying so intimately with Jesus Christ that you and I will suffer and die for our faith as well, in one way or another. We will be against everything that the world says. It seems like a strange way to go out and recruit for people to follow you. And indeed, a lot of people don't like that offer. And yet there's a time coming when, when the eternal plan of God is finally brought to its fullness... And we, we get to see glimpses of that along the way in this life. But there's a time coming where, where everything is reversed. And what you thought might be that oasis someplace where life would be simple and easy is nothing at all compared to what God is offering. 
going back to that, that garden scene where God created this, this beautiful existence and everything was very good, very good. And fellowship with God was the way it was meant to be. And then we decided to reinterpret what it means to be wise in this world. What it means to have what we want or when to get it. And we've plunged ourselves into a lot of pain and suffering. But that pain and suffering will never get you anywhere other than our ultimate death. But the pain and suffering that comes with Jesus Christ reverses all of that. And that's the wonderful news that even as we identify with Christ's pain and suffering, there is a reward that you can't even imagine. We we have not even scratched the surface of, of what eternal existence with God would be like. We have some close ideas or approaching what Christ is talking about, what God is offering, and then we have some crazy ideas about what heaven is going to be like, and, we, and sometimes we totally miss the mark. But it's far better than what we can ever even think or imagine. And that's just the way God is. He puts the offer out there. If you want to come after me, and the invitation is for anyone, Here's how it's done. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and you'll see how wonderful it is when God comes with his angels in his glory. And you recognize that every bit of following was absolutely worth it. Every time we would step off that path is a disappointment, truly. And sometimes they are dangerous to step off the path of God. Depending on how far we want to walk, because indeed there are those people that say, I'm very comfortable following as long as it's still comfortable for me. When you look at John's account and he talks, Jesus is talking about giving his very body and blood for the people and that's where true life would be found as they identify with this new covenant where you would eat my flesh and drink my blood, and it it shocked the people that he would say that. And so many people left them. If that's what it means to follow, I change my course. But they would miss out. They would miss out on the eternal blessings that are offered freely to anyone who would deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. There is no better way. There is no better plan. And it's the one that we commit ourselves to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we hear cliches like it's easier to catch flies with honey than vinegar. And it seems as if the story that we've just read is more of a vinegar story. One that seems to be repulsive to people. One that makes us turn up our nose and say, I don't want any part of that. Give me the sweet life instead. And yet that's exactly what you're offering. A life that is so marked by blessing and goodness and reward that would far outweigh anything that we would set our minds to in this life. 
And so help us, Father, as we understand your call to follow your Son as he leads us through this life. He's already paid for our victory, and we praise you, Jesus, for that. Our outcome is not in question. As we persevere to the end, uh, we know that there is a great reward for us. So thank you, Father, for sending your Son to live the life that we couldn't, to die the death that we deserved, and then to give us the life that we could have never paid for ourselves. So thank you, Father, for calling us to follow Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.